You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name's David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 268, Insights from the Life of King David. You know, one of the things our church has done over the last several years is provide everyone in the church with a one-year Bible. And there's something powerful about everybody in the church reading the same thing. And, you know, I'll actually list in the resource highlights the the one-year Bible that we use, but it's just a fantastic resource. Every day, you have a reading from the Old Testament, which is what we'll be talking about in a few minutes. You have a reading from the New Testament. You have some Psalms. And then you have a few verses from the Proverbs. And if you follow this, you know, religiously, if you will, if I can use that word, If you're disciplined in reading through your one-year Bible, what you'll find is that you read through the entire Bible once. You read the Old Testament through once. You read the New Testament through twice over the course of a year. You'll also read through the Psalms twice and the Proverbs twice over the period of a year. And it's awesome to have everybody in the church on the same page. We even have some of our connect groups that are built around the one-year Bible because they'll get together and talk about how God spoke to them about the Old Testament reading or how God spoke to them through the Gospels or the letters of Paul or whatever it is that they're reading or the Psalm. And so to be able to be on the same page is a very, very powerful thing. So I would encourage you, if you're not doing that, to, to, to get on the, the, the wagon with us, get on the bus with us, and let's, let's read the Bible together and kind of hear what God is saying. So like I say, check out um, the resource highlights for the one-year Bible, but also I wanted to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by Jesus A Theography. This is not a book that I wrote. I wish I had if It's a great book. But Jesus A Theography is written by Frank Viola and Leonard Sweet. And this is such a fantastic book because you've heard the questions, you've had the questions. What's up with the Old Testament? Why is the God of the Old Testament so different from the God of the New Testament? At least that's what it seems like. And sometimes as we read through the Bible, there's just kind of this lack of understanding about what's going on. There's not this real understanding that there's a a unified theme that we're looking at. Everything just kind of seems so separate and disjointed if we don't have the right framework to read it. And that's what... Viola and Sweet provide us with. They provide us with a framework on how to read the Bible. This is absolute dynamite. Um, I encourage you to check this book out. They give you a framework that will help you when you pick up God's Word and you maybe come to one of those difficult passages. 
I'm not promising you it's going to give you every answer, but it will help so much throughout most of God's Word as you read through it when you've got the proper framework. So Jesus of Theography, um, check it out. I also wrote a review on it on my blog if you want to read a little bit more. But, um, you know, I promise you'll enjoy it. There's, um, uh, it's not a book for scholars, although scholars would enjoy it. This is a book that anyone can pick up and read. So resource highlights today, the one-year Bible, I'll put a link in there to that, and then Jesus, a theography. So <clears throat> we're talking about insights from the life of King David, because now where I'm reading in my one-year Bible, we're going through Samuel. And, you know, I'm going to give you just a little quick, historical synopsis, and then we're going to jump in and we're going to talk a little bit about King Saul today. But we'll go probably for several episodes and really building up to looking at, uh, you know, King Saul, King David, and even talking about Samuel a little bit as well. So at this period in history, Israel is, is really not a nation. They're more like 12 separate tribes that occupy the same land. Of course, they worship the same God. There's a lot of similarities, but they're, they're really not a nation yet. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know that after Joshua led the people into the land, um, after Joshua died, there were some, some leaders that tried to keep them unified, but uh, there was a period of darkness, and the people would get into sin, and they would cry out, and God would send them, a, he, they were called judges, and these were like, warriors slash prophets slash kings. And they would rule, but they weren't true rulers in the sense of uniting the nation. They, they provided some guidance, but they were there more in case uh, to, to keep the people, try to keep the people pointed to God and also to provide some measure of protection. And Samuel, the, the great Samuel, which is, I mean, what a story, you know, that, that we get in, in, in the book that has his name about him. He was quite the man. But Samuel was a, was a priest, he was a prophet, and he was a judge. Uh, he led some military you know, campaigns, but he provided uh, some measure of leadership for the 12 tribes. But he didn't try and unite them. There's no evidence that they were united. There was any kind of you know, central government. There was nothing like that. And the people asked for a king. After he had gotten old and was about to die, his sons did not provide the leadership that he had. And the people asked for a king. And this angered Samuel. He felt like he was being rejected. He felt like they were rejecting God. And, and God even said, you know, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. But there's something inside the heart of man that wants to be led. And, and, and we actually see God's purpose worked out through a human king. Um, you know, this actually ends up being kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus. But Saul is designated in the, as the first king. And it's a fascinating story, but we're going to kind of pick up on the day where he is, you know, inaugurated, if you will. Now, imagine being Saul. There's never been a king in Israel before, so there's no precedent. You don't really know what you're supposed to be doing. You don't have any real guidelines on you know, what, what the king is supposed to do. And Samuel is a, little bit, is a little bit hostile because he still feels like you know, the people are rejecting him and picking you. So it's an interesting start to his, his time as a, as a leader. 
And on the day he was inaugurated, and this is from 1 Samuel um, 10, on the day that he's inaugurated, Samuel calls him out of the crowd. They've got all the tribes of Israel assembled, and they're going to, you know, this is the big day. They're going to get their king. And Samuel calls him out of the crowd, and he doesn't come. Samuel calls him again, Saul, come on out. And he doesn't come. He's like, where's he at? Well, they find him hiding with the baggage. They find him hiding behind, you know, behind the stage, or or they hide him in, in the coat closet, if you will, using a modern, um, modern terminology. But he's he's hiding. He's he's scared. He's he's not sure of himself. So he's he's hidden himself among the supplies. Though it says, well, they ran and they got him and they brought him out and it says they stood him. Uh, Samuel stood him among the people and he was a head and taller than any of the others. And Samuel said, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king. Now, here's what's interesting. Samuel goes through, and he, he this is the inauguration. And if you ever watched the inauguration, it was a big deal. Um, and Samuel explains the, the, the rights and duties of the king. And he wrote them down. And um, then he dismissed the, the celebration. He said, okay, guys, you can go home. But Samuel or Saul doesn't know what to do now. What does he do? How, how does he get started being the king? Does he build a palace? Does he pick a group of counselors? Um, does he, you know, enlist an army? I mean, what do you do when you're a new king? Where do you start? Well, you know what he did? He went home. That's what he knew to do. And it says, Samuel went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by some valiant men. And we don't hear any more about him for for several verses. And then there's uh, an attack, an attack on one of the cities of, of, of Israel. And what does Saul do? He's the king now. How does he respond to this? And when the messengers came and, 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 and reported, you know, what was happening. Saul was out working in the fields. I mean, he's out plowing his field, getting ready to plant his crops. And then he hears of this, this attack. And Saul, at this moment, this is when it says that the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. And he, he called the army out, and they went and won a great victory. Um, very interesting that it took some type of real crisis before Saul began to step out in his leadership. And I'm not judging one way or the other here. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing, um, a definite contrast than what you'll see later with David. Um, Saul, you know, waited for there to be a need for him before he stepped out in his his, his leadership uh, role. Now, once he did, this was the, the 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 moment where he really did become the king, because they went, they won a great victory, and at this point, this was the um, uh, the the moment. In fact, after this was over, after he won this great victory. Um, Samuel said, hey, let's go and renew the kingship. And it was almost like Samuel had been waiting for Saul to do something. 
okay, you're the king. We've inaugurated you. We've had the ceremony. But you got to do something. you got to prove that you're an actual leader. Now he has. They've won this victory um, militarily. And now Samuel says, okay, so let's renew this. And so, so, so all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. And they offered some offerings before the Lord and had a big party. So quite interesting, isn't it, that it took a crisis before Saul was acknowledged as the king. And, you know, maybe there's some, some validity to this, but you know as well as I do, many people get put into positions of authority and there's no real crisis, but yet they're expected to start leading. So fascinating. Now, moving on, talking about Saul as a leader, and obviously there's a lot of stuff we wish we, we knew, but we don't. But what we do find is we begin to see some character flaws in the life of King Saul. And one of the character flaws that we see in the life of King Saul, and this is going to come back to haunt him over and over again, we see it on a small scale right after he you know, begins to, to, to lead and rule, but it's actually going to be one of the things that destroys his kingship. And just to give you an example, um, Samuel has um, told Saul to, look, wait till I get there. They're getting ready to have a big fight. Wait till I get there. We'll offer sacrifices, and then you know we'll go into to, to war. And Saul, he's there with his army, and it says they waited seven days, and it says the troops who were with him were quaking with fear. And it says, they waited for the time set by Samuel, and Samuel, Samuel did not come. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Saul said, well, okay, bring me the offering and let me do the burnt offering. And just as he finished offering, making the offerings to the Lord, which is something the king should never do, as he finished up, Samuel showed up and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling, I thought, well, now we've got to do something, basically. And Samuel says, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom of Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. Isn't that interesting? Disobedience leads to the pronouncement of judgment. So, this is an interesting leadership picture, isn't it? Here's the king who's won military victories before, but yet his men were afraid and he hasn't done anything. There's no evidence that he gave them any kind of talk, anything to cheer them up, anything to, to get them ready to fight. Um, no motivational speeches, at least if there are, they're not recorded. It just says the men were scared, they were quaking with fear, and when they started to leave, Saul decided to do the offering so that maybe they could, um, you know, take take courage in God or, or and get ready to go fight. But what an interesting leadership picture this gives us of a man who's really 
at least according to what we see in Scripture, is not doing anything to cheer his men up, to give them courage, to to show that everything's going to be okay. And my question is, what I wonder, I'm not trying to read between the lines, but I wonder is, is the reason that Saul is not trying to motivate and encourage his men because he himself is quaking with fear. And I wonder, the reason I wonder that is, we actually see a very similar situation later on when very similar situation they're waiting on Samuel to get there they were ordered to go in and destroy the city of the Amalekites um, the command was go attack the Amalekites totally destroy all that belongs to them kill everything well rather than killing everything they kept the best of everything. And if when Samuel shows up, the question is, so why am I hearing all these bleeding of sheep? And the the, the conversation between Saul and Samuel, um, well, you know, Saul says, well, you know, we kept some of them so we could offer them to the Lord um, as sacrifices. And Samuel said, no, no, I told you to kill everything. Oh, well, you know, we're going to offer these to the Lord. And, of course, the classic statement that you may have heard before, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what Samuel told him. But listen listen to Saul's um, confession. Saul and Samuel are talking. Um, Saul realizes he's, he's messed up again. This command had come from the Lord. Um, destroy these people. And here's what Saul says later. He said, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. You know, one of the things you see in the life of Saul, and we're going to start wrapping up, but we're going to keep building on this this idea of, you know, what led to Saul's downfall, and, you know, look at David as well. When we look at Saul... We see a man who was a weak and an insecure leader. It wasn't that he wasn't talented. He led for a number of years, probably close to 40 years. He was the king. But he was also weak and he was insecure. We see a fearful man. Um, We'll also see this a little bit later on when we start looking at David. Is a, a leader who just wasn't completely sure of himself. A leader who was... Um, not sure of his own abilities, a leader who wasn't sure of those around him, a leader who didn't know how to really motivate his men because he struggled with the same fear that they struggled with. And listen, that's reality. Um, You know, if you're a leader, you're going to experience fear, but you also got to know how to control it and know how to rule it so that it doesn't rule you. So just a quick recap. We're talking about Saul. Uh, King Saul, and early on in his kingship, we see this this insecurity, we see this fear um, begin to creep up, and this is going to be one of the things that's actually going to take him down. And so we'll build more on this next time. Well, 
I'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on insecure leaders, insecure leadership? Have you ever worked for an insecure leader? Go to davidspell.com, leave me a question or comment, and let's talk about it. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. I look forward to going through this series with you at Leading and Learning. Thank you.